Sequel Quest, Episode 99, Our Marvel Studios Wishlist. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Mighty Marvelites, survivors of Avengers Endgame, and comic book movie fans alike to this very special episode of Sequel Quest. This week, we're letting our geek flags fly to bring you our ideas for enriching the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the next phase kicks into high gear. So allow me to introduce you to the superpowered podcasters who dare to do whatever it takes. First up, the man who just flew in from Sokovia, and boy are his arms tired, it's Jeff. Hey! Joining us soon, after he returns from his vacation to Sakaar, he's the incredible, the amazing, the invincible, Jeremy. And I may be the only guy who doesn't blame Star-Lord for punching Thanos in the face and killing half the universe. I'm Adam. Finally, returning to the podcast after a 20-year trek across the universe to help refugee scrolls find a home. What have you been up to since the 90s, Michael Kennedy? Hey, how are you guys? Oh. What am I enough to just the 90s? Losing my hair. That's mostly it. <laughs> but yeah, we're glad to have you back with us. What's life been like? So I actually started going back for a second master's degree in cinema studies, and I've been working on a research project about a, a filmmaker. I can't really disclose a lot of the information yet, but I'm working on a project there, and I've been doing a rough draft on two screenplays that I'm working on. One is like a crime drama, and one is like a musical genre type of history movie very cool well for those who don't remember michael has joined us to talk die hard tim burton batman films and we are very excited to have him back here to talk about the future of the marvel universe we're going to get into all the details soon but let me ask you this where are you guys at as far as comic book films? They've been predicting for years that this was going to fizzle out. It was just a fad. But are you still excited for each release as it hits theaters, as it gets announced several years in advance? Jeff, what about you? Excited. I mean, I have to say, I thought Infinity War was better than I was expecting it to be. I was definitely engaged with it, and I am interested to see how they conclude it. Although, to be honest, like it's been a while since I've actually been i need to see this movie on the day it comes out like i am that excited about it honestly like with endgame i'll go see it probably the first weekend because judy's really excited about seeing it but yeah. to be honest if i didn't see it till it came out on Redbox. I think I'd be okay. Hmm. Okay. How about you, Michael? You know, it, it's funny. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that where I haven't seen Captain Marvel yet. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I just haven't had the chance to see it. <laughs> I haven't even seen Shazam yet. And I'm a, wow. I'm a big Shazam not fan. Not even Shazam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to see Endgame opening weekend. I'm going to try to see it within the first week because I'm going to get everything spoiled online. But I, I feel like it's hit its peak and it's starting to downgrade and i almost feel like and a lot of people i've been talking to about this say that this movie endgame in particular has been so hyped and so mm -hmm. anticipated we could be in store for a phantom menace type of movie how can they live up to this hype i'm uh, sure it's going to be good i'm sure they've sunk billions of dollars into this movie but there's always that chance we could get a little midichlorians you know <laughs> <laughs> 
I have to mention that a little disclaimer up front. We are actually recording this episode during the week of release for that much-anticipated follow-up to Infinity War, so none of us have seen the film, and our discussion tonight is totally uninfluenced by what is sure to be, you know, the biggest film of the year. Just keep that in mind as we're discussing this here. I'll just speak for Jeremy, because I know that he is 100% on the comic book movie high. He has not come (laughs) down since Iron Man. I mean, literally, he is sending us links every day. There's just constant communication off the air. So he is seeing them two or three times in the theater if he can manage it. He'll go to midnight showings. He'll go to early morning showings. So he's 100% in on this. I don't always get out to the theaters, but these days, the only movies I can make a case to my wife say, dear, I know you don't want to see a Marvel movie, especially not one that's three hours because you've always said they're 30 minutes too long anyway. <laughs> Amen, sister. So for me, she knows how important it is. So I'll be like, dear, I got to go see Endgame. So she's very kind to me in that fashion. But as far as am I anticipating it? Yes. And yet I've stopped following any information except what might like trickle through my Twitter feed. Like I don't seek out any interviews with the cast or the director or try to pay attention to any viral marketing, which seems like it's not as heavy these days. That was something like early 2000s. Dark Knight was probably the peak of viral marketing, I feel like. Right. Well, instead of viral marketing, now it's all either spoilers or guess what a spoiler might be. Yeah. And I I, th- I think that's true. I mean, it's, it's such a topic of, you know, the general public now. Yeah. Like even in the early days, it was like, oh, people were like, oh, what's this Iron Man? You know, but those of us who were in the know and had been reading for years knew a little something. And now everybody assumes they know, or I guess they kind of do because the MCU is the base line for these characters now there's the comic book history that's for many of them been rebooted several times so it's kind of like ah that's fluid but the mcu it's in stone it's in celluloid or digital or whatever now just one thing i'm going to add in when it comes to et game i have had a theory since i saw infinity war of what this movie is going to be <laughs> based here, here, on based on my comic knowledge in my life fair enough so I think the first 30 to 40 minutes of the movie is the survivors going to fight Thanos, and then what we're going to be thrown into is Secret War, and they're going to end up on Battle World, where they're going to find all of the people that were turned to dust, and then they have to battle to bring them back to their realities. That's my huh. theory. Whoa. If that is true, I'm going to faint in the theater, because if they if they manage to keep that a secret, that would be amazing. At least for me, it does feel like they've done a pretty good job of keeping the lid on this one and mm-hmm. and i know even feige has said that the trailers are all showing the first 15 minutes of the movie so they haven't even given away images yeah and what's interesting too is when you talk about spoilers and things like that what has been mentioned is that there's been a lot of press lately about the disney plus streaming service right because marvel acquired fox they say really we acquired fox so we'd have more to put on our streaming service it's not about getting the x-men it's not about you know they're saying that's not what we were trying to do but hopefully that pays off for us the fans so there have been several new marvel streaming series that have already been announced so we've got the winter soldier and falcon oh which is going to be a laugh riot i'm sure with anthony mackie <laughs> come on <laughs> so we, we have that one coming in they're saying there's a vision and the scarlet witch well it's called one division isn't yeah. it yeah yeah which is terrible <laughs> horrible name and then they've said that there's probably most likely yes we're developing a what if series oh yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, which is very exciting in concept. Jeff, I know way back when we did our Comic-Con special. This is my idea. See? Yeah, that's what you wanted. You brought it to right. life. I believe there's also Jeremy Renner. I think they've confirmed there's a Hawkeye series that's going to be on there also. Uh, yeah, I heard that. There's also going to be a Loki series, Loki, I heard. Right? Yes. That's the one I heard. Yeah, Tom Hiddleston. Okay, fine. Not going to be the next James Bond, I guess. So he'll be Loki. And the other one that I had heard, there's rumors about it. And I, I never, you know, you know, never know what to put faith in there but they talked about maybe a hulk series i mean i guess ruffalo would do a streaming series why not but I thought they couldn't do that that's the thing right yeah, yeah it's like universal holds the rights but 
but I, right. I heard something about that. I wonder if they could do a She-Hulk show, though. I, well, I, that, that was mixed in to the rumor I was hearing, that it would actually be She-Hulk, so stay tuned on that. But this is all very important because our, our topic tonight is a special one in saying that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been entertaining us for more than 10 years at this point. If you want to go back to our awards show episode that we did where we gave out our Coulson Awards to all the best of the MCU, you can enjoy that. But we've had countless unexpected characters adapted for the big screen up to this point. I mean, probably the biggest surprise for anybody was Guardians of the Galaxy. 100%. Who, who were they? Yeah. And all of a sudden, they are the biggest thing. But there's still hundreds of Marvel Comics characters who have not shown up as Easter eggs or in end credit scenes or the Marvel mini movies. You know, that they still deserve their chance at stardom. So tonight, we are going to be pitching our concepts for bringing the deserving Marvel characters out of obscurity on the printed page and into the multiplex, as well as some ideas for rebooting existing characters who maybe could use some freshening up or maybe a second go around to kind of polish up the legacy. But I think it's important then that we establish quickly our comic book credibility and and where we fall in terms of our fandom of comics. So, Michael, for you, tell us a little bit, how long have you been reading and what maybe just over these years have been your your top three? Could be current, could be of all time. What do you think? So I've been reading comics since I was about five years old, so a little over 30 years. My top comic was always Batman. Captain America was up there in the top five, as well as Superman and those kind of characters. As a kid, especially in the 90s, growing up in the 90s, Spider-Man, especially with the animated series, that was a big one for me. So my top three of the last, I'm going to say, since the millennium, would be number one is uh, Batman Court of Owls. If you haven't read this book, it is incredible. It's a great story by Scott Snyder, who actually lives about 10 minutes away from me, and I've met him a dozen times. He's a really, oh, wow. Yeah, he's a really cool dude. Number two is the Brian Michael Bendis run on X-Men, where he brings the X-Men of the 60s to the modern era, and it's called uh, Yesterday's X-Men. The whole story arc of that is really enjoyable. It's like 60 issues captured in a bunch of different you know, smaller volumes. That's really, really good. And this one is a fairly obscure one, but they were trying to make it to a TV show several times. This is not of the big two of Marvel and DC. It's actually Vertigo, which was a former DC offshoot, is Why the Last Man. If you haven't read Why the Last Man, you haven't read comics. That Mm -hmm. book, it's brilliant. It's breathtaking. It's a really good story. And it has a beginning, a middle, and an actual physical end, unlike The Walking Dead, which is going on forever and you'll feel satisfied by the end of the book. So. Yeah, like I, I, I'm aware of Why the Last Man, but I have not read it. I read all of Brian K. Vaughn's other series, Ex Machina, which mm-hmm. I really loved. I enjoyed that a lot, so I got to go back to check out why. <laughs> why, why? <laughs> and how about for you, Jeff? Because I know that your your comics reading kind of tapered off in the 90s, but what right. are those special titles for you? Yeah, well, I've mentioned before back in our, I think our, well, probably on our X-Men episode and on our untapped comic books, just in general episode. <clears throat> My favorite comic was always New Mutants, and it ran for 100 issues on the dot. But the last half of it, when Lee Field and Simonson came in, was pretty rough, if you ask me. So the first stretch was with... Chris Claremont, that was my, especially the, there was a stretch right there in the middle when they were, I guess they would have been like juniors in high school. That was the sweet spot for me. I always liked reading X-Men, although I don't know that I could give you a specific area that I thought was the best one that I saw. Obviously, I'll get flack for this one, but I have been a sucker for the Death of Superman arc. Not so much because it was brilliant, but one, I love the fact that they finally like put Superman to the test. Well, let's push him as far as he can go. And then he literally has to give everything that he has to overcome this. Like for me, that was his heroic moment. Far too often, you know, I just do whatever, like I'm Superman. Like I just blow it away or whatever. But then the thing that I really loved, especially not being a huge comic aficionado, was the way that it progressed artistically so that as the issues got closer and closer to that final death issue, the art got more and more intricate and they went from 
the standard eight panel down to two panel down to one panel down full page artistry and that I, I i was always impressed by that especially in in high school okay now for me i have always had a hard time jumping into any existing continuity so i would never try to jump in and say okay i'm gonna read all these batman comics or i'm gonna read all these spider-man comics because i'm just like there's so many years of history i'm never gonna catch up so i tend to go for either the more obscure comics or kind of the offshoot so for example on the marvel side spider-man 2099 was huge for me when the whole 2099 universe launched i was all about that so that was a big deal i have most of the relevant issues of the main run like it started tapering off towards the end and i was kind of like yeah not so you know when they added ad to the title then i was less (laughs) excited (laughs) that's big for me another one from the 90s which i go back to and just read all the time is exo manowar from valiant comics Um, which is back again did you know that yeah i I tried a couple issues of the reboot everybody loves it i just never got into it the original is a little bit more quirky but it's got some great characters just the idea of this visigoth this barbarian gets abducted by alien steals alien armor and then comes back in the modern day it doesn't realize you know that the world has changed and then he conquers the world of business <laughs> in between fighting these uh, attacking spider aliens it's just such a fun expansive story that goes on i was actually just shopping on ebay and filling some holes in my run i like it up to the point that bart sears took over as artist and then i stopped reading because i don't care for his art style but that's a great one and then probably all-time favorite that's so special to me is mike allred's madman i just love it i mean i i have all the trades i have all the issues i have his madman gargantua that collects everything in this giant hardcover i have the action figures i've actually met him and had him my dust jacket of the gargantua book i just his comic they're a throwback to like a 60s style but they have a real existential quality to them he's always considering what is the meaning of life and where do we go when we die and otherwise he's fighting different types of monsters or mutant street beatniks and he's wants to go on a date with his girlfriend he's got a mad scientist friend who sends him on adventures it's just this whole thing about this guy who died and came back to life with no memory of who he was but these abilities and it's a great kind of sweet but fun action adventure series so those are probably my top three when i when i go back and think about it but that isn't to say that any of us all of us i think here haven't read a great deal of marvel comics you know single issues runs of different mini series and everything else so I, I think we have a pretty good place to start from when we're thinking about who's the character that maybe has not had their moment to shine yet so michael why don't you kick us off tonight and tell us who do you want to see in the marvel cinematic universe and how would you bring them into that world can i give you some honorable mentions before i tell you my actual idea because i i had a really hard time with this because there's so many characters that i feel like need their moment in the sun i have one that i'm very solid on but my honorable mentions one was going to be she hulk which i think like you mentioned with the hulk tv series we might see her before we know it spider woman would be another one spider gwen was one that was on my list and though they just did it with into the spider verse i'd love to see miles morales there's a couple of really good stories in in the comics about miles and peter together one book is called spider men and it's basically peter training miles and there's another one where like in the ultimate marvel universe where spider-man dies which is kind of what happens in the into the spider verse movie and miles picks up his mantle those are my like honorable mention ideas but the story or character that i felt really is the most relevant and the most of now and can be both a street level character as well as a broader scale hero character is kamala khan ms marvel she first appeared in captain marvel number 14 and she idolizes carol danvers it's like her hero and she gets her powers because she's actually an inhuman but they don't really ever consider her fully an inhuman because she kind of lives outside of that whole realm she lives in jersey city she's a teenage girl she's muslim so she's dealing with being an immigrant and actually she's born in the country but her parents are immigrants and i feel like in this country and in the world right now her character and her story would really resonate with a lot of young people young women immigrants and you name it like it It's a really strong character. Her first volume of her book, which is called No Normal, is really, really good. It's a little more like 
teenage-ish, almost like a Breakfast Club kind of story arc, which is what the Spider-Man movies are, are kind of like. And I think she would really connect well with this universe's Peter Parker and and so on and so forth. And that would be my number one person I feel like would be perfect in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Story-wise, like I said, her first volume, which is basically her origin story, getting to know her powers, she can manipulate her body and grow into all different heights and sizes and makes you know her fist gigantic and punches down walls and i think that whole origin story in the comics is so good that it would be a great first movie for her yeah absolutely hey jeremy just popped into existence in our universe how you doing i stepped through the portal and i'm back all right well don't tell us too much of what happens at the end of endgame we'll, right? we'll look forward to seeing it for ourselves those red carpet spoilers Ooh. <laughs> all right now jeff who is a character then for you that has been missing from the marvel cinematic universe up till now to be honest i didn't write down my honorable mentions because i know there's a lot of ones i think would make very interesting uh additions because like 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 you said at the beginning adam i think guardians of the galaxy really did add I mean, one we haven't seen them interact much outside of you know infinity war with anybody else but it seems like that's what's going to happen moving forward but i went with the easy one the one that if you ask me has to happen and that's fantastic four if for no other reason, then you got to bring in Doctor Doom. So what I had down, because Fantastic Four obviously has now been done twice, not including the first one that we kind of tend to forget, or <laughs> try to forget, yeah. exactly, <laughs> at the very least. So what I decided to try and do is after Infinity War Part 2, the Ant-Man is back in, in the, the quantum realm collecting quantum juice or whatever he does in there uh, <laughs> and happens to find a portal which goes to the negative zone uh, going through the negative zone he actually finds the fantastic four there but they're actually from a different reality but they're trapped so he brings them back to our reality and they find that in our reality the richards and the the ones in our reality they actually died on that shuttle accident so because there's not really any way that they can get back to their own reality they kind of decide to step into the hole that was left by the people that died uh, they kind of step back into the limelight and it actually goes really really well reed becomes one of the most highly respected scientists very very quickly but once they're back in the limelight now we, we start seeing the same old same old you still get the conflicts between reed and and his wife they're not paying close enough attention and then we also see of course that ben Grimm is still wrestling with the fact that he's the thing especially because the hulk is kind of a villain in this universe because he's been destroying you know and the last time people saw him he was fighting iron man and it's just so he's kind of seen as a weaker version of the Hulk. And so everywhere he goes, people distrust him even more. So he ends up meeting this doctor named Richard Bloom, who says he can reverse the process. So he does and actually turns Ben back into a human. So joyfully, he enters back into the civilian life. He starts hearing about the Fantastic Four saving people. And he's, well, that's great, although they're not really the four anymore. But then he actually sees a news clip. And there are four of them, including The Thing, which he's obviously very confused about, goes back to the Baxter building, but he's denied access. The only way he can get in is he has to swallow his pride and go to one of Johnny's events and say, hey, Johnny, it's me and whatever. And so the two of them, not being science guys or whatever, they have to work together because for one reason or another, the only way that they can actually defeat this other thing is by turning Ben back into the thing himself. So you get a thing versus thing battle. The OG thing, of course, is the one that wins so that Reed and Sue figure out that, oh, this is the real Ben Grimm, turns the other thing back into a human and find out that it's actually the doctor, Richard Bloom, but he reveals himself to actually be doom and so then he runs away and that's how we get back into the Fantastic Four world. Ah, that is a good conceit, Jeff. I love that, that they actually died and you go to a different reality to bring them in. Very clever. I like that. Kind of Spider-Verse-y, to be honest. but A little know. bit. All right, well, I'll jump in here because this is a character that we've mentioned several times already. And we've said, is it going to be done? Should it be done? Can it be done? I say yes. I want a She-Hulk movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, here's the thing, because like one signature feature of the She-Hulk comics, at least as presented by John Byrne, who really is the definitive writer of She-Hulk, she didn't have much of a personality until that late 80s, early 90s run. She was just kind of like, I'm big and I'm strong and I'm a woman and I happen to be the Hulk's cousin. Until John Byrne put her in the Fantastic Four and then got her her own series, nobody really cared too much. It was just like, oh, she's a cool presence. But in her comic, she broke the fourth wall and even comic book panels and everything else on a regular basis. She was 100% aware that she was in a comic book, that John Byrne was the artist who was writing her story. And she's like, Byrne, what are you doing? So I imagine her movie to be like Marvel's version of Deadpool. Because Deadpool's kind of already done that for us in the world of superhero films. But I feel like this would be Marvel's way to make commentary directly to the audience about certain tropes of the MCU. Occasionally she could take control from the filmmaker, you know, and try to manipulate things the way she wants them. And I I think it would be a fun way to play with the format. But the actual story, the way that I figure, how do we introduce this Jennifer Walters character is that she's, you know, a sassy, ambitious attorney. She's working for a high-class law firm that was involved in this major scandal. They represented Justin Hammer from Iron Man 2, you know, Sam Rockwell. And there was video evidence that he was, like, clearly guilty of cutting quarters on delivery drones for an online retailer that malfunctioned and comically attacked children at a birthday party, you know. Nobody died. But the idea is that the firm wanted to take the heat off itself by publicly representing individuals who had been harmed in some way by 10 years of superhero activity. So they villainized the Avengers and other street-level heroes, and she is part of that firm, and she has tried to, you know, climb the ladder. She wants to be a partner, and she doesn't really make friends. There's this burly bailiff named Wyatt Wingfoot, who, there's like this romantic tension there, but she's always like, look, I'm not into muscles, I don't have time, but you're a sweet guy, whatever. And she's just, you know, she's real clever and fun, but she's also super focused. And so they say, look, we'll make you a partner if you represent this criminal. His name is Carl Crusher Creel. You got to get him off the hook for breaking and entering in an offsite Stark Industries laboratory. You know, he said, he's, oh, I was just there to test the security systems, you know, but ended up being pursued by a, a Stark Iron Legion drone from Age of Ultron. It led to several people being injured during the chase. So there's this whole thing. Basically, she's trying to say it was Stark's fault for creating faulty AI, but they don't buy it. So Creel goes to prison. She loses her promotion, but Creel also says he's going to get revenge on her someday for blowing it. So basically, after that, she's all frustrated. She runs into her cousin, not so coincidentally, Bruce Banner, aka the Hulk, who's in disguise, comically, and he invites her to lunch, and they talk about when they were kids. We find out Jen bullied Bruce, you know, but they eventually became best friends, and Bruce tells Jen she should use her talents to go after actual criminals and stop impeding good people with powers who are trying to make a difference in the world, and she's like, Bruce, you're the absolute worst person make this case right now, given as many rampages as the Hulk. But on the way, driving back to her apartment in a borrowed sports car from Tony Stark, of course, the cousins are attacked on the road by a trio of Creel's cronies known as the Wrecking Crew, who drive a massive tow truck. And Jen's like, you know, Bruce, you gotta Hulk out. You gotta save us. He's like, we both know that is a very bad idea. And the Wrecking Crew end up trashing their car and smashing them into this dead-end alley and we see that Jen has got a major injury and she's actually losing blood and so Bruce knows he can't call 911 because his alter ego is going to be blamed somehow and he's kind of a fugitive on some level so he has to improvise and give her a blood transfusion from his own body so this saves her life but she wakes up in the Avengers compound and she hates Tony Stark because she blames him for losing her promotion they have some banter and then they see this news footage that Creel got broken out by the wrecking crew from his prison transport bus but either way Jen just wants to go home. Bruce is like, no, you should stay and get testing. She's like, how about I sue you? Okay, you know, they get happy Hogan to drive her home. Meanwhile, Crusher Creel and his crew are going for their score, and they end up going to this lab where the wrecking crew gets bathed in this liquid. It turns their skin bulletproof. Creel gets blasted by this ray that allows his skin to absorb the properties of any substance he touches, turning him into the absorbing man. And so now they're hitting the big time with their new powers. Meanwhile, 
Jen tries to go back to work. Derek, the guy who got her promotion, rubs it in her face. She gets super mad. You know, she breaks it off his chair, but she just kind of shrugs it off. Then they end up in court where she's representing this guy who's going for custody of his child. He's a wealthy businessman. He just wants to get revenge on his ex-wife who caught him sleeping around. So Jed already doesn't like him. He keeps making passes at her during the court proceedings to the point where she just loses it. She's getting angrier and angrier. Her skin turns green her body grows two feet taller she gets more muscular she doesn't even notice it's happening till she smashes the table in half she runs out of the courtroom you know she's in a busy street lifts a cab over her head takes these giant leaps back to her apartment so anyway now she's freaking out she ends up trying to get an uber driver to take her out to the adventures compound but they all show up and get freaked out they just drive away she has to settle for getting a ride from her elderly neighbor wheezy who is a court stenographer who knows her uh uh, and she is kind of taking her metamorphosis in stride, claiming she lived through the 60s and has seen it all. Meanwhile, Creel and his crew are hijacking armored trucks, and Creel says, look, I gotta finish that Stark job. It's killing me. So he decides they're gonna go one more time. Meanwhile, they get to the Avengers compound. Jen is, like, confronting Bruce, blaming him for turning her into a freak. He tries to calm her down, but she just gets mad and starts bullying him and calling him the name she did when they were kids. So he hulks out at these two green giants are battling across the New York State countryside. So Jed's learning her limits and, you know, the extent of her new strength. So Bruce changes back to human. Jen does not. She can't get answers from him as to why. She doesn't want to stick around. So basically she goes back home, tries to get on with her life. Wheezy is kind of her little mentor. She goes on a date with Wyatt, finally. He doesn't treat her any differently. So again, she's feeling better. Finally, dinner gets interrupted by the wrecking crew because on their way to pull at the Stark job, they get a bite to eat by attaching a falafel cart that Jed and Wyatt were eating at to their tow truck and drive off with it. And basically, Jed is like fighting them on top of their uh, tow truck and all through the streets. And then when they finally, like she's pummeled them, and they, but they're just finally at the destination. Creel's there. He can't believe what he sees. Grabs a rock. They have their big knockdown drag out fight. And Jed ultimately defeats him by tricking him into absorbing a piece of the falafel and then releasing is a pack of guard dogs on him who devour him so oh. <laughs> kind of accidentally she doesn't mean for him to be eaten by dogs wow. it just it happened but yes yeah, so anyway at the end it's jen successfully argued her reinstatement as an attorney just as bruce calls and offers her a spot with the avengers but she turns him down decides to open up her own law practice where she represents heroic superpowered individuals who find themselves in legal trouble and who walks in as her first client but luke cage and jessica jones ah crossover come on they don't have series anymore we can do it but yeah and just for casting purposes i'll just mention that i wanted eliza dushku to play jennifer walter she already played she hulk on agents of smash the cartoon but she'd be great she's funny she could do it bruce willis as crusher creel the absorbing man oh, he's wow. got the head for it he? yeah he's bald yeah. and can we just get him back to moonlighting you know original diehard bruce willis please have a little fun you know mm, yeah don't sleepwalk through your role and then for the uh, the wrecking crew i wanted terry cruz rob hubel and the miz <laughs> i just think you got funny guys that maybe have a, a physique to them and then kathy bates is wheezy i think she'd <laughs> do a good job there but yes please give us she hulk well i just wanted to throw in that they did actually bring in the absorbing man into agents of shield Yes, so, I think I yes. saw that. That yeah. episode. It was like season two or something, right? Might be, yeah. well, and, and he, he did technically die already. Yeah. So you'd have to do some form of a crossover, perhaps. Well, I, I think it's clear that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really, sort of, but doesn't really. After all this time, have we ever, I mean, aside from Lady Sif, have we had anybody from the actual MCU films on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? In the pilot episode, Sam Jackson was in it, and... Um, been, well, Coulson, obviously. Colby Smulders has been in it. Yeah. yeah, she's been in oh, it, like, maybe. Right. But not in at least the last two or three seasons, right. they haven't had any of those people in there. Yeah, well, they've been kept in the dark. Like, you've had yeah. Infinity war and now endgame where it's been like four years in the works where everybody's been in the dark 
So S.H.I.E.L.D. has been like, well, we're doing our own thing, and then we'll pick back up with something after uh, Endgame. Yeah, it's usually one-directional, where it's it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is affected by the MCU, but the MCU is not necessarily... Because, like, being part of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they were affected by HYDRA and all that stuff. All right, well, Jeremy, who did you want to see? Who have you been waiting for? Uh, well, if you followed any of our other shows in the past, we covered quite a few Marvel-ish wish lists, but I'm definitely looking at Moon Knight. Yeah, why is that? What do you like about him? Well, I mean, the simple way is that he is Marvel's Batman, except he's broken and multiple personalities. And yeah, he's, he's schizophrenic, right? Yeah, he, he's yeah, got he's a got lot going on. Superpowers. Yeah. Yes. So. So Mark Spector and the the run I want would be from the Bendis run back in 2011. Oh, I read that. That was good. The overview of it is he's he's going on a bunch of different missions in L.A. and meeting up constantly with Spider-Man, Captain America and Wolverine, except they're all in his head. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so he literally takes calls. He meets with them. Everything but they're not really there. And if I'm remembering correctly, he does go through and almost takes on their powers in fighting or their fighting styles. Their fighting styles, yeah. Yeah. That's new. Yeah, that's a twist. Because I've only ever read the original run. I I bought one of those big essentials. Yeah. So I just read like all like the first, you know, year or two of his his run. So, wow. Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) But, But you're right. That's a quirk that makes him unique. A very unique. And it would give a good jumping off point. You could do a lower budget movie. You don't have to spend $150 million on a Mark Spector movie. You can do kind of like what they've been doing with Deadpool, like a limited budget, and then go all out with the action and whatnot, because most of it would be practical. Sure, you could do some fun stuff with his cape and CGI, and that would be a good kickoff for a Disney Plus TV show. Can I give you a, a, a thought on this? In regards to the Disney Plus, because that was the first thing I was thinking is, Marvel Disney came up with an agreement with Hulu for any adult content shows to be now on Hulu, and that run would be very cool as a serialized, mm. like, 10-episode schizophrenic show. I think that'd be kind of cool, because I feel like you might lose something in a two-hour movie that you won't get. It would probably be more of a, a launch, like right. introduce them to a wider audience and then say, OK, now you can follow an additional story on Disney Plus or Hulu Plus or whatever. Maybe when they're getting ready to relaunch the Defenders, once all those contracts are up, you could do a Mark Spector movie and tease that he would return in a Defenders TV series or something at that point. Did you have any casting ideas for your Moon Knight? Like somebody you think could take on a bunch of different personas pretty fluidly? (laughs) Fluidly? Well, the one he's playing Professor X right now. Yeah, if you've watched Glass. Oh, my God. Oh, my. I mean, there is bald Bruce Willis in that doing superheroic things. But McAvoy is your man. But McAvoy, he would be a great one that could do that. But, you know, I don't want to pigeonhole him in doing the schizophrenic stuff. So, (laughs) like, the other one that's been bandied about forever was a slip of the tongue, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. For a while. But now he's Mysterio. Um, Rami Malek is the other one. Yeah, he'd be good. He would be good. I mean, that's the Mr. Robot thing. He'd have to bulk yeah, up a little bit, but he'd be, he'd be interesting because he does, he can play a nutso character. <laughs> and and he's, I believe, uh, Egyptian. Egyptian. He is yeah. Yes. So that would play into the PC thing where we're getting uh, an actor to play a character that is of the the genre that fits. To avoid the Iron Fist controversy, which really shouldn't have been controversy it, it because the character was always white. Right. But <laughs> Well, and Mark Spector, he's, he's always in the suit, or he's always covered up, and changing his ethnicity doesn't change who he is. Not right. at all, yeah. Like, he was a Marine in various storylines. Like, he was well-trained, military. It doesn't mean that he has to be a white guy. 
All right. Well, wow. Okay. So I, yeah, I was not expecting Moon Knight to come into the conversation. So that's pretty cool. So yes, those are all good choices. And I, I think a, a pretty eclectic mix, you know, aside from Fantastic Four, which I think everybody is just crossing their fingers, do it soon. And Jeff, like you said, it would work very well for Phase Four, Fantastic Four, if they could maybe put it in at the end. And that's like the big reveal, but I think they've all been announced. Is that right, Jeremy? We know what we're getting for Phase Four? Uh, no. Phase Four that has been announced is the Eternals and Guardians 3. Well, and Black Panther 2 and Doctor yeah. Strange 2. Well, well is, they were, it, they've is been Far From Home going to fall? No, that's uh, Far From Home. like 3B. It's the end of Phase 3. Right. Okay. Yeah, they've come out. They've made a lot of drops here the last couple days. But Feige did say that Far From Home will wrap up the Infinity Saga. Right. Which is what they're calling this. Yeah. Twenty three movies long. <laughs> and and there will be a big rollout of kind of a timeline again here probably Comic Con ish. Or they may hold it off for D twenty three. But Marvel will have a presence at Comic Con. So Yeah, I, I heard that too. Yeah, just make sure to earmark your mentions for Marvel drops here. so we've gotten into the people who we haven't seen yet but there are a lot of characters that have been introduced and for the most part like i I was looking through my library of mcu film titles and i i started realizing i was like you know what there's not as many as i thought because they are series they are sequels you know three captain america movies three iron man movies you know like like if there's not a whole you know sequels is what we're getting and and then occasionally they drop in a new one we get a captain marvel we get an ant-man you know we get our doctor strange whatever it is so the idea now is of those characters who could use a little freshening up or a reboot or you know with the predictions of endgame we already know chris evans is stepping down from the role of captain america what that means for who captain america is we don't know you know so things of that nature like if if the universe is being reshaped how would you reshape it you know there's so many different ways we could have gone with this so michael for you who is a character or you know a team even that you felt like you wanted to see a, a fresh coat of paint on Okay, so I went into this thinking about what is the most realistic thing that would actually probably happen in the MCU versus <laughs> what would be my super fanboy, like, nerd out thing. Right, right. So, so I, I tried to keep this really grounded in how I feel like they would go. And based on the Disney Plus series that are coming out and Chris Evans stepping down, the most obvious clear-cut choice is based off of the Ed Brubaker run of Death of Captain America, seeing Bucky Barnes become Captain America. So my theory is that with with Bucky and Falcon, or Winter Soldier and Falcon, whatever they're calling them, in the Marvel or Disney Plus series, they are competing with one another to see who's going to pick up the mantle of Captain America. And and that's what their 8 or 10 or episode show is going to be about, is Who's going to pick up that mantle? And you're going to see over the 10 episode thing, by the end, you'll see one of those two. My guess most likely will be that Bucky's going to become Captain America. That parlays into his series of movies. And it's going to be kind of a flip-flop from what the comics are, where in the comics, if you've ever read Death of Captain America, the whole arc, it's Hawkeye and... Bucky are competing to see who's going to pick up the mantle of Captain America. There's actually a really cool issue where they're throwing the shield at one another and seeing who could catch it and throw it better. And it's really kind of a neat (laughs) thing. And I just, the way that they've done Hawkeye or, you know, you know, whatever they're calling it, uh, Jeremy Renner's character, his, his actual name. I forget, I forget what it is in the Clint count. Barton. Clint Barton, right. He's too far removed to be considered to be the next Captain America because they never really had a closeness in the movies. But with Falcon and Bucky, they're the easy choice to do that. And my vision or my thought is that this whole TV series is going to be, you know, a journey across America, figuring out a story of redemption for Bucky, trying to feel like he can live up to the mantle of Captain America and ultimately become Captain America. And I believe deeply, strongly that the next phase is going to be Secret Invasion. 
without question based on the scrolls being in Captain Marvel and Bucky's version of Captain America was a huge feature in Secret Invasion and you're going to see that story arc told out in near future movies of a new trilogy of Captain America and new Avengers films and that's my prediction when it comes to that all right well there it is hey I, I, I can see it <laughs> Jerry predicted scrolls and we got him yeah I won't well... My vision is for the Secret Invasion saga. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Over this next run, I think so too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I, I think that is a, just a fantastic way again to keep everybody on their toes. That's how you build interest again, right? It's like who's a scroll that will get people right. in theaters for all the characters we've loved and cared about all this time. So yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's gonna be really cool if that pays off. How about for you, Jeff? What were you thinking? Well, listening to previous recordings that we've done, you may be a fairly obvious one, but as a Thor fan, Thor needs a reboot desperately. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would do Thor Thunderstrike, where post-Infinity War, Loki would return to Earth somehow, laying beside Jolner. And Thor comes back and finds it, but finds that he can't actually lift Jolner because he's no longer worthy. Because the premise is you're supposed to be humble, and he's the furthest thing from humble now. So that's my own little stab at Thor, but that's fine. <laughs> so anyway, so he can't lift Jolner, and so it's very similar to the first movie where word travels around that, oh my gosh, Thor's hammer is here. And so the crowds gather around, and everyone's trying to lift it like King Arthur or whatever. Sword the stone. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And there's an architect, Eric Masterson, who's a former Peace Corps guy, and he actually moved to New York after the the events of uh, the the Chitauri invasion in the first Avengers. He actually, in, in the midst of the Avengers fighting all of this, he actually saved 20 people, but kind of like Steve Buscemi in 9-11, avoided the press and there was nothing told about it or anything like that. So after the whole Thanos thing and they destroyed a whole chunk of New York again, there's lots and lots of jobs But as an architect, he doesn't want to take advantage of these people that lost their homes or anything like that. So he ends up working a lot for free and he ends up doing a whole lot of work for very little money. So he's really struggling. So in the midst of all that, his friends finally convince him that like, hey, why don't you go to wherever it is and try and lift the hammer? And much to his surprise, he does actually lift the hammer and transforms into Thor, the God of Thunder. So starts like then that would be kind of a chunk of the movie where he's or at least a part of you know, maybe a montage. I don't know. I'd want to spend a little bit of time. He's going to start fighting crime and doing the whole superhero thing, learning how the now depowered Thor is going to grudgingly coach him along a little bit. And then he meets the Avengers, which is a little awkward. He's like, so you're the, okay. And then, You'd have to bring back Jane, which would also be awkward, but that's fine. So then after that whole thing, somehow between Loki and the original Thor, they would, I don't know, get word somehow that Surtur is still like smashing the bricks left over in Asgard or whatever. (laughs) Just can't let it go. Exactly. Well, he has nowhere else to go. He's literally on this like floating disc. And so he just keeps punching the water or something. Um, But... In so doing, they actually find through, I don't know, they bring out one of the historians and they actually find out that what Ragnarok is, Ragnarok is not the destruction of Asgard. Ragnarok is actually the renewal of Asgard. And so that what was supposed to happen is every single Asgardian was supposed to die in Ragnarok and then they would be reborn all over again. So Masterson hearing that and then because Loki apparently did die and so ultimately what it comes down to is that Masterson is now the last remaining Asgardian and so he he realizes that he has to sacrifice himself fighting Surtur to the death which will then allow all of Asgard to be reborn again well I guess Heimdall's dead so he's going to step through some sort of a portal to get to Asgard and as soon as he's about to do it the original Thor shoves him out of the way goes through himself and at that moment Jolner comes back to him because he has regained his worthiness. He fights Surtur. They both die. And then the end, either credits or post-credits or whatever, is somehow out of the dust or I don't know what would be left. Odin is the first one to be reborn in the new Asgard. Very cool. And I get my Thor back! I get my (laughs) Thor back! 
but I, I almost took the stance of what is franchise that needed to feel redeemed. Now, you know, when people talk about the low point for the MCU, it is Thor 2, as you mentioned. Iron Man yeah. 3. No, I think Iron Thor 2, 2 is worse. Or Iron Man 2. Really, any of the Iron Mans except for the first one. But it was a movie that was seemingly created just to establish an Infinity Stone with the ether, which is incredibly frustrating because that really did seem <laughs> to be the point. And we did get Thor Ragnarok, which most everybody loves. But if you ask me, it's a very uneven film. You can go back to our sequel chat and hear my thoughts on that. So I would have enjoyed at least one more straight epic adventure with the son of Odin. And so if you want to think about maybe this is going to be on the the Disney Plus service. What if Thor 2 was a good movie? (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I give you Thor 2 Savior. This film would actually pick up immediately after the end of the original Avengers film with Thor returning to Asgard to put Loki in prison. But during his sentencing by Odin, Loki is broken free by Ulick, a brutish dim-witted troll who has dreams of conquering the Nine Realms but knows he's not crafty enough to do it alone. Ulick proposes that his troll armies can be the muscle for Loki's skillful planning to turn them all into conquerors. Loki is at first reluctant, but when he's threatened with death, he obliges the trolls, at least as a means to get them engaged in a mission so that he can make a hasty escape at an opportune moment. So Loki shares that there is a spacecraft that he and Thor had passed while traveling back to Asgard, which he claims contains an ultimate weapon, which they should go steal. So Yulik agrees, and they begin loading their transport crafts with troll soldiers and taking off. Meanwhile, Thor and the Warriors 3 are tasked with returning Loki and get word from Heimdall his journey into space so a battle ensues out in space between thor's crew and ulix trolls they're kind of fighting all around the ships and in and through them whatever else and loki identifies the ship for them so ulix goes in and they find inside this floating just kind of ship that was alone in space a race of survivors of some long gone civilization in suspended animation but it sets off their security system and unleashes the ship's protector a large or horse skull faced creature who fights with fury against all involved so the trolls retreat they take that space vessel and take it back down to their little cave while thor and the protector are locked in this immortal combat and find themselves battling within the bifrost as heimdall's trying to bring them back until they arrive on asgard where the struggle continues until thor is actually bested with the protector catching everyone off guard by lifting meow meow as Kat Dennings told us, and transforming into a suit of armor similar to Thor's. Then he prepares to strike this fatal blow upon the Thunder God, but he's stopped by the words of Odin, who manages to calm him down, and the Protector introduces himself as Beta Ray Bill, a normal man who had volunteered to become technologically altered to be a living weapon and serve as the Protector of the surviving members of the Corbinite race, and he reveals that his people fled their planet on a ship in order to protect a volatile energy source that ultimately is what caused their own planet to explode and in order to prevent other races from doing the same they decided to just keep this thing with them and that's how it would be safe unfortunately that energy and the people he has sworn to protect now are in the hands of loki and the trolls bill begs odin to free him so that he can rescue them and explains that if they stand in his way he'll use this power of this enchanted mallet against them so thor realizes that bill must be an extraordinary individual if he's worthy to lift the hammer Plus Thor is crestfallen after failing to retrieve Loki or best Bill in combat. So he offers to give up his mantles, the Thunder God. He's just having a, a real poor me moment. But Odin instead suggests that they hold a contest for the right to wield. In the MCU, Jeff, they, they call it Molnir, right? So I'm going with that one. As there are now two contenders worthy to wield it. So Thor and Bill agree and are transported to a volatile realm in which they can battle without endangering lives. Meanwhile, Loki... Loki discovers, hey, there actually is a dangerous energy source on this ship. He thought he was just bluffing. So Ulick is now planning to harness this into this doomsday beam. He could threaten each kingdom of the Nine Realms there to do his bidding and fall under his power. Loki realizes the danger of this, tries to talk the troll out of it. Finally, Thor and Bill are in combat once more on this battle planet. Thor is beating Bill, but just as he does, the planet begins to break apart and he falls off a cliff down into the center of nothing 
nothing and he's hanging on this ledge and bill has the choice to win and let him fall or save thor and he chooses to save him which earns him his own hammer stormbreaker and the two heroes take off to battle ulick and his trolls and stop their doomsday device from being completed bill ultimately tries to absorb the power into stormbreaker it seemingly dies but does save everyone and for his valor odin revives bill and he's hailed as a hero and then we see that the sleeping Corbinite people are awakened and they are welcome to live on asgard as citizens they now have their new home so there you go thor 2 savior we really thought thor needed some help so (laughs) (laughs) there's your pitches folks so i'll give you a little honorable mention again for this reboot so have have any of you guys read um civil war 2 and secret empire in the comics that came out in the last couple years no if i skip those so, so well, Secret Empire Cap breaks bad. He's Hydra, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's that one. Okay. So, so in the end of Civil War Two, Tony Stark dies, but before he dies, he downloads his, his consciousness into an AI, so he's able to encapsulate the Iron Man suits as an AI, so he can still battle as, as Iron Man. But the funny part about it is he is early '80s, early '90s when he's an alcoholic, so it's like drunken tony stark as an ai and he's trying to figure things out and it's really one of the highest points in secret empire which isn't the greatest story but he's really funny in it as a character and i'd love to see if you wanted to figure out a way to keep robert downey jr make him an ai and make him you know the voice but make him kind of quirky and goofy and that would be kind of interesting way to like revitalize that character but still keep robert downey jr in as tony stark as a voiceover essentially yeah that's that's kind of the way i'm feeling they should go or at least bench him like make him part of shield or something well that was my question because you know chris evans is stepping down robert downey jr has not made any such announcement is that right no but they also may be keeping him quiet in the sense that like yeah they, they don't want the fans to know if he dies or not in this movie to say mm-hmm. oh don't say anything to the press yet oh don't you know you're still iron man forever yeah well you'll be, eight, they, you'll be 80 and be iron man yeah they did <laughs> film multiple endings for this and we're piecing it together in the edit room so the first time any of them saw it was tonight at the premiere premiere, yeah so for our new character introductions into the marvel cinematic universe we had ms marvel moon knight we had she hulk and we had the fantastic four so of one group and three individuals that we want to see brought into this world that we've come to love so much michael what is your vote i think moon knight would be a lot of fun because you could do a lot with that character and have a lot of crossovers and poppins of other things i I vote moon knight jeff gosh i i like that all three of you guys had a lot of different dimensions i feel like man i keep going back and forth i i'll just go ahead with the fourth wall breaking of she hulk i feel like that's that's something that i think with the mcu would benefit from Okay. Well, they're going to get a lot of that with Deadpool. <laughs> Are they, though? I think they're going to run scared from Deadpool. Mm, well, they said w- they were going to do a third one. They've already confirmed they're going to do a third one of that movie. Yeah, and I believe he's the only X-Men coming over. Yeah. And I wouldn't put it past him to do some sort of cameo in a post credit scene or a pre-movie screen, something with him. How about for you, Jeremy? Oh, boy. Uh... I mean, I'm on board with Fantastic Four, but not exactly the pitch. We did a really nice pitch back in, what, episode (laughs) seven? That was a long time ago. Back in the day, way before all of this was in the works. And She-Hulk, she'd kind of have to be like Ally McBeal almost. Is that a bad thing? In personality (laughs) to make it work. So uh, I'll go Fantastic Four. Okay. Well, I got to say, I mean, just the unexpected nature of the current incarnation of Moon Knight makes me cast my vote that way. Because if he's going to be able to deal with mental illness in that unique a way, I think that's pretty fascinating. So I I like the idea that he could be hallucinating, but almost getting inspiration from all these existing characters coming in and out of his stories. So I like that a lot. So, all right. Well, Moon Knight, we're in your corner. So we'll see how that goes. Now, how about this reboot idea? So, well, it's it's basically down to Thor. We're rebooting Thor, but in which, just which adding pitch? characters in type thing. And I mean, I was thinking Beta Ray Bill as well, 
but hadn't thought through how to incorporate him, just kind of spin it off, continue it. Yeah, like, and like I said, mine's more of a revision. Mine doesn't continue forth where Jeff's does. Jeff is working with the current continuity. And then we also have the new Captain America. Right, which I think, uh, just for most likely, yes, I, I think Michael's theory is probably correct. At least I hope it is, because what else are they going to do with those yeah, guys? I don't yeah. think so. I think it's going to turn into the odd couple and be a train wreck myself. I would <laughs> rather see this, to be honest. Well, yeah, so I mean, I, I think I am actually going to cast my vote for, for Michael's pitch theory. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board with that one as well. Uh, if I had to pick between either one of your Thors, I'd probably go with Jeff's on that one. But yeah, that's my vote. Well, I would have to go with Adams. I mean, it's Thor. I can't vote for myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so hey, anything is possible. Are we going to see this universe go on for 10, 15, 20 more years? I guess until we stop showing up at the theaters. But Michael... Thank you again for coming to join us because this was a fun conversation. Honestly, I feel like if we really wanted to get deep into stuff, we could. <laughs> oh, we we, we could have gone on for hours, and it's it's, yeah. it's midnight here in New York. We didn't <laughs> we, we didn't even talk about the possibility with Thor of making Jane Foster Thor like they did in the comics, and in the comics she has cancer. And she gets the hammer and gets the powers of Thor. And that's what's kind of keeping her alive in the comics. That might be an interesting take as well, which we didn't even talk about. So many directions we could go. So, yeah, we might have to have you back on in the future and take on a, a different cinematic universe. Maybe DC, see what we could do there. Who oh. knows? See if we can save them. Burn it all down. I think they are, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are burning. Joker. Yeah. Michael, is there anything else you did want to plug or anything else you want to tell us is awesome that we should check out? Well, if you haven't seen Glass, you should see that movie. If you want to see a real amazing superhero story, Unbreakable, Split, and Glass, it's a great trilogy. And if you ever want to do a show about M. Night Shyamalan, I know a lot about his movies, and we could talk for hours, so... I think we're due. We're going to have to pick one. Lady in the Water 2, coming to you soon. <laughs> but uh, I'll also mention, too, if you enjoyed this deep dive into comics and bringing maybe some more obscure characters to light, I'm going to be guesting on the Nerd Lunch podcast, probably my third and final time over there. But we're going to be discussing 50-cent bin comics characters. So really, like, the, the bottom-of-the-barrel comics characters. But we're going to mash them up, like the DC and Marvel characters did in the 90s, the Amalgam Universe. Oh, no. So good. I love those books. <laughs> so corny. This is going to be a fun exercise And how do you take characters that nobody cares about if you put them together with somebody care about them? So if you want to check that out, just keep an eye out on the Nerd Lunch podcast feed for the 50 Cent Bin Amalgam episode. But until next time... Avengers Assemble! We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 